Let's get started with a word of prayer. We'll dive into our verse. Lord, thank you for this morning, for everyone here. Bless them. Fill them with the knowledge of the abundance of the grace that you've supplied to them through the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help them to dwell upon the mercies that you've shown to them in the gospel. That they would find all of the motivation, all of the strength, everything they need to live a life in holy obedience to you. Looking at you and your attributes and your perfections and the great love that you've shown to us in the beauty of the gospel and the light and the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Romans 12, 1 and 2. A verse that is often memorized by many, many Christians. And I titled, titled today's lesson in the notes, The Life of Joy in Total Obedience that God prescribes to all Christians. So that's, that's important. I put the life of joy in the beginning because that's the actual end result. That's the end result of, of when, you, when you obey what God prescribes, you will have a life filled with joy. And we'll get into that. So reading, reading Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove or test what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So this week I was reading through some of my commentaries and I was reading where Pastor John MacArthur gave an example of a woman that came to a conference of his and she was able to ask him some questions. Uh, so this was maybe during a question and answer time about the Christian life and specifically her Christian life. This woman was a sad woman. She felt empty. She explained to him and that she had tried going to spiritual churches spiritual churches where they speak in tongues, get slain in the spirit and do a whole lot of other things and she herself had tried to speak in tongues and after all these things she said she, she still expressed to Pastor MacArthur that she still felt miserable before God about her Christian life MacArthur just bluntly told her the key to your spiritual victory is not in seeking any more or all you can get from God, but rather in giving all you can and all you have to Him. And that's what I said. MacArthur was exactly right and is exactly right. What this lady needed was not more from God. 
God has already given her spiritual life through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. She thought she needed more, perhaps, or more spirit from God still, or more gifts. But at this point, the way the Lord has made things and the way the Lord makes the gospel in the Christian's life after repentance and belief is a life of ongoing repentance and belief, is that now you are to give all you are and all you have to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said this often in the Gospels, lay down your life, take up your cross, and follow me at all costs. This is the way the Lord makes the Gospel. Jesus gives our souls rest through the Gospel. However, the new Christian heart that we learned about in Romans 6, 7, and 8, the new inner man, the new spirit, the new heart that God has placed in the Christian is a heart that now desires God. And its end is to, to seek and to desire joy in God. And we can see that in what Jesus says in John 15, 8 through 11 here in a minute. God gives the Christian the most satisfying joy when we are most satisfied in pursuing Him and obeying Him. God gives the most satisfying joy to the Christian when you exert, expel all that you have in pursuing Him and obeying Him. That is where the most satisfying joy will come to your life from. Is, is when you obey God and give everything you can back to Him first and foremost. The commands of Scripture are not empty laws anymore to the Christian, and nor are they condemning laws that show us our sin. If you read in Romans 8, 4, and read 8, 1 through 4, what did we learn? That we are those who have been freed from the penalty of the law, we were made slaves of righteousness and slaves of God back in chapter 6. But we, through the Holy Spirit and with the new inner man, the new heart, are those now who can fulfill the law, it says. By God's grace, the new heart and the new Christian desire, we now have the ability to fulfill the law of God through the power of the Spirit. We don't need to demand more from God. We need to give our every effort, our personal excellence, to do as he says we ought to do. And then we will be full of joy. Turn to John 15. Verses 8 through 11. John 15, please. <clears throat> John 15, 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you, disciples, bear much fruit. How much fruit? Much fruit. And so prove. There's that word again, prove. <laughs> to bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How do you know you're a disciple of Jesus? <clears throat> you will be bearing fruit. If you are not bearing fruit, 
You are not a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have deceived yourself if you do not love this truth. Verse 9, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Jesus says this, Abide in my love. We're going to look into this. Abide in my love. Verse 10, so he goes on to explain about what abiding in my love looks like. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So abiding in God's love, abiding in the love of Jesus Christ, means something that the Christian has to do. You have to keep his commandments. You have to care about the word of Jesus Christ. You can't just treat it trivially. If you are, and you are a true Christian, you should have grief. If you don't, I'm worried and concerned for your soul that you may be self-deceived and not be a Christian. Jesus says this, Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and so that your joy may be made full. I want you to notice two, two people have joy here, and it starts with Jesus and the Father having joy in their perfect relationship together, and then Jesus taking that relationship and extending it out to his disciples. You will abide in my love, the love of the Lord, your Lord, <clears throat> And it causes two things to happen. It causes Jesus to have joy when his disciples obey. And it causes the disciple to have joy. Okay, so the Lord gets joy in your obedience. And you get your promised joy here from obedience. So that your joy may be made full. How many people want fullness of joy in their life? Right? Has anybody experienced elation and great joy in their life? Okay, remember that moment. <laughs> okay, God, God gives far superior joy than that. And how, do, how, do, how does Jesus provide the way? What is the way in which you can find great joy, according to this passage? So how do you abide in his love? How does he say it? What is it? So what do you have to do? There's a verb there. It's called keep. Are you keeping things? Are you keeping the things of the Lord? You will not have fullness of joy if you're not keeping after the things of the Lord. And to be in the love of Jesus and to, have, to give the Master great joy, says there, in verse 11, so that his joy may be in you. Are you giving Jesus reasons to have joy in you and your life? I pray that duty, that you would do duty for duty's sake, but the scripture doesn't end there. Jesus says you can do this for the sake of your own joy. So, there's two reasons you should care about Jesus having joy in your life. But you can also do it.
to find joy in your own life. Because God is going to reward your obedience with joy, fullness of joy in your life. Many people are confused about finding the will of God for their life. Have you ever heard people say that? What's, what's God's will for my life? <laughs> um, and then they think it's like, am I choosing the right job? Am I, am I wearing the right things? There's a degree in which that's true. But <clears throat> and, and, and being wise about making various life choices that will affect uh, many, many, many much the direction of your life. But in general, where are the Lord's commands? What are, are the explicit commands that are very specific? Do I know what those commands are in Scripture? Do I know where they're at, and am, am I striving to hold to them, to keep them? Maybe I'm not full of joy because I haven't really paid too much attention to the things of Jesus, to his words, to his commands for my life. Maybe I don't have joy with my husband because I don't respect him at all with my daily life. And I don't subject myself to him. Maybe I don't have joy in my wife, men, because I don't cherish her, treasure her, and lay down my life, my money, my time, my efforts to wash her with the water of the word as Christ did the church. Jesus promises joy in those things for men and women, not in something else out in the world. If you pursue those things, husbands and wives, you'll find your relationship far more satisfying because you're grounded in God's word and obedience to your Lord, and that's eternal, and your heart will be filled with joy, I guarantee it. I don't believe Jesus is going to make neglect on his command or that his promise that he's going to fill your heart with joy as you obey him. Treasure your spouse. Do what's right in scripture. I guarantee everyone in this room, if you do that this week, you'll be happier. Can I, can I make a comment? I, I mean, um, the time I've walked with the Lord is short relative to some in here probably, but it seems what you're speaking about is very incremental. I mean, it just seems like... Um, <clears throat> trying to think of a specific example, but he'll lead me to obey in an area and I'll think, I've been living that way for 30 some years and I've never even sensed a conviction of that. But he, he takes you, that Holy Spirit in you, it's incremental. It's not like, oh my goodness, take this book and poosh. <laughs> he, he convicts you of things little by little along your walk. And I love that about him. Yes, it is true that it is incremental, and it'll be incremental for different people at differing degrees and measures, because uh, you might think that it's okay to just spend 10 minutes a day trying to obey God, but somebody else realizes they're going to strive to spend every moment, and their increments might be far exceed yours, or somebody else's in this room. Their growth might be exponential, comparatively, and... They're probably going to be a lot happier. Do you think God is displeased with one and pleased with the other? Or do you think it's just what different people are capable of and that God knows each one and he leads them along? At Who did Jesus say he takes joy in? In John 15, 11. And those who obey. 
So Jesus is not pleased with those who are disobeying him. Does he still love you? Are you still going into the kingdom? Yes. But you're not filling the Lord with joy, and you're, you yourself are not going to be filled with joy. The scriptures say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with your sin. You can grieve God as a Christian. Do you think, though, for, for one person, their whole, um, let's take uh, alcoholism and God delivering someone of alcoholism, that might be a huge victory for one. And it might be something that God, you know, works with them and they, they gain victory over it over a lifetime. Right. And for some, that might be just, oh, okay, what am I going to do tomorrow? <laughs> you know? I don't know. It just seems like different people, I don't know. Just yes, and for different people, things will be different. Um, how thankful they are for one victory over one type of sin over another. Uh, you know, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, books of wisdom tell us that things aren't just any one specific way. Mm-hmm. And so as you grow as theologians and Christians and you begin to understand scripture as a whole more um, you can, we can stand up here and give quick answers but Proverbs would tell us it's not just that easy or Job <laughs> there's a lot of nuance and growth and understanding well um, the poor are oppressed sometimes because they don't do the effort themselves to work and sometimes he says but other times the poor are poor because they have people that are rich that are oppressing them. So it's not just one exact thing or the other exact thing. There's a mixture of a lot of things that can be happening in life. So life's not like a bunch of blocks and math numbers. There's an artistic fluidity too, even though life is very geometric too. I'm, I'm an electrician. I like math and stuff <laughs> and charts. It's a willfulness. I mean, a, a conviction that comes is the willfulness to continue to grow and change. Right. If we are willfully disobedient, we are going to lack joy. Right. You know, exactly. Relationships. So I think that it comes as the Lord convicts, what's my response to him? Does it mean that I'm going to be successful immediately? It's going to be a process. But I think just like we saw, we see many examples in scriptures. You know, being righteous doesn't mean sinless. But can I be a righteous person even as I'm processing and looking through my journey of faith and being obedient? As each thing comes to me, what's my response in that moment? Doesn't mean immediate success, I don't think. It means how quick am I to surrender and say, ask God to help me to grow and have victory. Yeah. And theologically, all growth comes from God for every individual Christian. Says so, okay, so the Apostle Paul does not deserve to be the Apostle Paul. Paul was given the gift of knowledge and apostleship. Um, David wasn't given that. I wasn't given that. I wasn't born at that time. God didn't have that plan for me. Okay, there are some great men that were born. Who were they made by? God tells Moses, who made the deaf, the dumb, the seeing, the blind? I made every creature with the varying degrees. We're going to learn this in the next couple of verses after this a part of the spiritual identity of the church and members within the church differing and varying in gifts. Not every member has the same gift. And not every human being is born with the same mental capabilities as others. And then, does everybody remember when I talked about reward in heaven? And kind of, 
like I said, some Christians will have great degrees of obedience, and it's a combination between God's grace, and God's grace is open to everyone, but then there's also the human responsibility side as a Christian with the new heart and the deposit. All the graces that God has given in your life, church, godly teachers and pastors, how many of you are taking as much advantage as possible as with all the theologians you know in this church to, to help you obey more, to understand the scriptures more? But how much are you wasting your time doing other things in the world? Okay? That stuff that you waste your time away is going to be burned by God in heaven. And what he gives you in heaven will be of grace, by his grace, through his spirit. All the things that you did do right as a Christian, he will reward you. Jesus says he will pour it into your cup, press it down, which means more, Shake it together, press it some more, and then put it back in your lap. God's going to give you far more than what you deserve in heaven for the good that you do do. There's a warning, though, that if you're indifferent about those truths and the way God describes it, I, I would be really afraid of somebody who's like, you know what, if it, taking bits of these truths about heaven and about the Christian life, I'd be scared for somebody who wants to remain indifferent and be like, well, I'm just going to get in the kingdom. Because... Jesus said, too, there was a guy who got in, and they didn't have any wedding clothes on. Mm-hmm. And then when the king came and saw him, he said, what's this guy doing here? Throw him out. He was with the visible church, this person. He thought he was inside the kingdom and with the church and with true believers. And then he gets thrown out because he actually nothing actually came. He was the, the tear that was amongst the wheat. I'd be careful of anybody who, who doesn't genuinely have a heart change that this stuff is true, it's precious to me, I care about it, and I want to care about it more. But if you see patterns of great indifference, you're not concerned about God or the things of Jesus Christ, you're not growing in your care and concern for others, John would say you're not born again, if you read that section. joy is simply and chiefly found in obeying the Lord's commands listen to what I mean memorize John 15 11 memorize that give joy to Jesus and he will give you joy in obedience to his commands if you obey his commands you'll be in his love and be giving him great joy he's going to fill you with more joy and that's exactly um what is so true in all these passages that talk about rewards and varying degrees of rewards in heaven, varying degrees of, of authority, varying degrees of, of joy in heaven for people based upon how they live their Christian life here. And just remember that everyone in heaven, nobody deserves to be there in heaven. Like I said, everybody on that scale, it's still of grace that they're there and that they're getting what they get. It's of the grace of God ultimately at the, at the base. We need to get away from everyone else's advice, the world's advice. Are you setting your desires on satisfying your flesh with the things of the world, the movies, the music, the conversations, or are you going to orient, orientate your life more toward Jesus' commands. 
I'm promising you joy because that's what the Bible says. More joy if you obey Jesus' commands. Take it seriously. But take it joyous, joyously. Shouldn't we all grow together? Should we encourage and exhort and love and admonish one another to, uh, to pursue excellence for Jesus Christ? Let's pursue personal, holy excellence for the Lord. Jacob? Um, yes. I was just wondering, you know, because um, I didn't know he's talking to the disciples there, right? On love and joy. And, you know, as far as that goes, it's easy for me <laughs> to show love and joy to people who love God, but sometimes I really struggle with people in the world. And it's, and it's hard to, you know, people that even hate God. How, how do you show that love to them, you know? And right. How do you do that, you know? And sometimes I really butt heads with people, and my old man rises up in me, and, yeah, so yes. that, that's a point that I really struggle with, and I really do. <laughs> so, yes. yeah. And it's good to hate evil, or that's correct. Um, <clears throat> but what was... Romans 1 through 11. Thank you, Irv, for your question. <laughs> because this will get me back on the passage and the therefore. Okay, so here the therefore. It's, it's really special, this transition of Paul. This, um, Paul is saying, out of all of the perfections of God in the gospel, I've just explained to you in Romans 1 through 11. I'm going to answer your question here through this I, I pray <laughs> out of every out, therefore I urge you by the mercies of God and so this is specifically by God's mercies Irv I am urging you to love those who are evil in this world go and read for me Romans 2 5 right now for the class Romans 2 5 okay everything Paul has talked to us about God has practical application how we live our life. Every theological truth and point. Romans 2.5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Now read verse 4, right? Preceding it. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? What were the three things that God was toward the wicked, evil man that he's going to judge in verse 5? What were the three things that God did? Your unrepentant heart. In verse 4. Kindness, tolerance, and patience. Why should we live and offer our bodies as a holy sacrifice and, and according to what standard? The standard we learn in Romans 1 through 11. God's attributes, his character, everything that God was, God is commanding you to be. God was kind to the man who deserves hell. He was patient and he held back the wrath 
the tolerance. God is holding back the wrath that man deserves. He's giving him patience, so he's giving him a long life of kindness. And God says this, that he has not left himself without witness, and that he has filled men's hearts with food and gladness. So many people that are wicked across the world that deserve God's judgment, which we understand to be all of us. God has been patient in our life. He's held back the wrath that we deserve immediately when we disobey and sin. And He's filled our hearts with food and gladness. So when you're dealing with the sinful guy or the guy who constantly swears at you or treats you like crap, it's not, it's not easy. One of my last jobs, I had a horrible foreman. Super hard, very negative, and I was the new guy. I was an apprentice, and I got beat up verbally, and it was really hard. I had some breaking points. I almost wanted to fight the man. The special forces guy in me that I don't tell anybody about was ready to do damage. I took everything I could to hold back sometimes. I wanted to kill him. But the grace of Jesus Christ in my life, thank God, by the power of the Spirit, I didn't do anything to the man. <laughs> but <clears throat> perhaps I'll just go on a personal testimony. It's actually how I wanted to end, and our time is running shorter for this lesson. But I was a very, very sinful man and when I was younger. I'm still young. <laughs> when I was younger than I am now. You older people would be like, you're just a pup. Um, an extreme drunk. I lived up to the cursing sailor title. failed to love my first wife, Casey. I became an addict to pornography. gracious to my life. I loved <clears throat> satanic, basically satanic music. Because most rock and roll music is satanically inspired. And a lot of country music is too. It's about pleasures of the flesh. 
I used to love some bands. I used to, love, I used to sing their songs, like it just roll off, like this was an expression of my life. And then when I was in Afghanistan talking to um, a Methodist chaplain, he had me read the book Crazy Love by Francis Chan. And I realized everything my parents taught me as a young kid that I wasn't any of those things. And then for eight, you know, six years, I'd gotten way off the path. But even when I was in high school, all this stuff was developing. And then for me, for me, in one night, it was like instant. I didn't care about the music anymore. I didn't let it just fell off. That was by God's grace. My first wife, Casey, left me. God gave me healing. She didn't want to be a Christian when I got saved. So we got divorced. <clears throat> Cursing sailor basically fell off. Drunkenness pretty much fell off. And so did pornography, but these two, this one happened a few more times while I was still in on occasion. And then this one eventually went away. But then, as my life continued, no longer had a wife, then I struggled with masturbation for a while. I no longer had a wife, and all that pornography would still come to my mind from time to time. And it was really difficult to get rid of it. And then after I married Elizabeth, the masturbation and the pornography images completely fell away from my life by God's grace. During the times of relapse and when I struggled with those things, though, I would, I would weep over that sin for hours sometimes at the table and just study scripture and pray to God to remove this from me. The image of the pornography that I put in my mind over those years my lack of faithfulness to my first wife. I used to weep about how I couldn't keep my first wife. I felt like a failure, even as becoming a Christian man, that I wasn't appealing enough to keep her satisfied with me, and that I wasn't able to pursue her and cherish her enough to want her to stay in the relationship. But God was gracious, and now I'm teaching Romans. See if how many of you guys drop out next week. <laughs> God saves sinners. Amen. And I offer my body as a living sacrifice to God, and I seek to give him my spiritual worship because of his mercies that he showed me. And so when you're dealing with the hard, hardened sinner out there. You can look at God's grace that he's shown to you for your sins, whatever they are, and you can extend patience and tolerance and hold back the war that they deserve and the wrath that they deserve. And you show Christian charity to the evil and the wicked in this world, trying to present the gospel to them, and loving them and being patient. God will judge in his time. I know I deserve God's judgment. He, he removed that from me through the grace of Jesus Christ. And I'm eternally grateful. Five minutes left.